Good morning. This morning we begin preaching through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is a a long book of 50 chapters. We're going to uh, break it down in four sections uh, and then have a little break in between each. So we are in what is the prologue, this first section, which goes from chapter 1 to 11. So we begin with chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis itself, uh, the word means beginnings, an appropriate title for this book. And our text is that first verse, which is the foundation of all beginnings. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning that is referred to in in verse 1 is actually the very first moment that ever took place. Up until then, there, there were no moments because there was no time. There was no place. There was just the person of God and nothing else. God was not somewhere. God was not surrounded by anything. All of reality existed only of the person of God. And he began moments and time and places. Before that, there was only God alone, the only uncreated, self-existing being. God is infinitely other than, beyond comparison or description. The the scripture tells us that the leading attribute of God, which is declared unceasingly in heaven, is his holiness. Holiness is the Lord because it means he is separate from, he is different than, he is beyond all other beings. The chief aim given to the people that he has created is to glorify him in all things because he is other than, he is glorious, he is beyond anything that we can see or know or experience. God is who began everything but himself who has no beginning. We can't compare anything to God. It's not as though God is just stronger than or smarter than. God is all strength. God is all wisdom. God is all authority. God is the sum of all perfections. And there is no comparison of anything to God. He is beyond all of that. Genesis tells us the beginning of time and place, the beginning of ourselves and of our universe. The word in 
verse 1 for create is bara, which is a word for creation that is only used in the context of God. Other words are used when it speaks of what we do and make. Only God creates as he does, which is out of nothing. Only God creates ex nihilo. From nothing, he brings into existence all that is. And part of the great encouragement to our souls for that reality is God not only bring the universe out of nothing, God, God brings faith. With there was none, God brings righteousness to exist where there was no righteousness. So we need never be discouraged by our weaknesses. They mean nothing to God because he instills and gives all the righteousness and faith and strength and wisdom anyone could need or have it. It all comes from his gracious and good hands. God had to invent everything he made. There were no examples. There there was no history to look back to. Everything came from the mind of God what had never been. God invented atoms and molecules so he could then invent mountains and solar systems. God just didn't invent ears and hearing. God had to invent sound. God invented each bird's song. And the bodily systems of every organism and creature that exists, what makes each one of them different, God in a moment had to think up and come up with more decisions than there are grains of sand on the beach of how every single creature would fit together in every little part and function and how the whole universe would be tied together. All of it from the mind of God. Every let there be statement involved millions of decisions and thoughts that came into being in a moment. God invented temperature, air, the brain, wetness, walking, breathing, gravity, color, all of that came from the mind of God, for none of it had ever been until God said, let there be. Genesis describes our origins, but God is always the main character. When you read chapter one, pay attention simply to how many times the the name God is used. 
It's dozens of times. It just keeps referring to God, what God does, what God declares, what he sets into being, what he separates, what he makes, what he creates, what he blesses. It's all about what God is doing. There is no step, no place where God is not the full author of all that is taking place. Nothing in the origins of existence happened without the specific intentional declaration of God. The name for God used here is Elohim. The the word Elohim comes from a root word that means strength, power, what is lasting. And what's interesting is Elohim is actually a plural form uh, of a word. And so the the plural form, which is used over 2,000 times in the Scripture, the singular is only used uh, a few dozen times, mostly in uh, biblical poetry. Uh, God is purposely known as the plural God. It, it both magnifies, the plural form magnifies the strength, the majesty, the, the eternal lasting nature of God. And it, and it opens the door for our eventual understanding that God exists as a triune being three equal eternal persons in one God. He is totally other than. Now, there is a great debate about beginnings. Which is eternal, God or matter? One did create the other. Either the living God created matter or, as large numbers of people declare and believe, matter that has no life somehow eventually became living man who then created the idea of God. One created the other. Purely using reason, just by rational thought. What seems more likely to you? Don't be mistaken, as we, as we heard last week, both views that God is eternal or matter is eternal, both views are faith-based. Because no one witnessed Genesis 1. And no one witnessed the Big Bang and somehow a spark of life which became all living creatures. Neither of them have been witnessed. Neither of them can be imitated or reproduced in a laboratory. Both are faith 
based ways of understanding ourselves and the world. By definition, science cannot prove or disprove God. And so, creation, because God is a supernatural being and creation was a supernatural work. It is beyond nature. It, science cannot be used to prove that God created the world because it was a supernatural beyond how nature works event. And it can't be disproved. People don't reject God in the laboratory. That's not where people come to conclusions. Oh, it's obvious that God didn't exist, and that's not how origins came. Uh, people reject God and Genesis 1 in their hearts. The, the rejection of God and his authority is not a scientific rejection. It's a response. It's a disagreement with God and what he does. One of the most common reasons given by atheists why they don't accept the reality of God has nothing to do with science. It's all philosophy of life. If there is a God, then he would not or he would that there is evil in the world, God hasn't done anything, so there cannot be a God. That's not a scientific argument, is it? That's a philosophical debate on, I think God should be this. He's not, so I don't believe he exists. It's disagreement with God. It's not science driving the obvious conclusion. So this morning... If you believe Genesis 1-1, if your conviction is yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That, that should mean something, as Dan would say on our Tuesdays, is it? Is that the, the day you use? On your Tuesdays, how does... In the beginning, God created all that is. How should that shape our life? Now, we could go in many directions. There's a long list of implications from that. Um, and, and I'm guessing you're not prepared to listen this morning to every single one I could think of. But we're going to narrow our attention to three that all are in the category of if we believe God created all that is, uh, how does that shape what we are casting off and out of our life? And so that's the direction we're going to look with the rest of our time this morning. If Genesis 1, 1 is true, then we should first cast aside all, all of our arrogance and pride. Arrogance comes in different ways. The, the arrogance of self-sufficiency, which is a mirage that we are holding our own life up, that we are existing in our own strength, 
The only reason why the molecules that make up your body are holding together in this moment is the direct, the declaration of God, stay together. It is the only reason that not only you are breathing and heart beating, but that your life, your body actually is something that exists. Not at the moment when you first came into existence, but in every moment, it is the declaration of God that keeps it all together. Rather than fight the reality that we are dependent upon God, embrace it and live an emboldened life. Rather than thinking that we have to maintain life, that it is based on what we can do, the confidence that our life is on the foundation of the person of God, of the declaration of God. And so the wisdom, the power, the authority, the goodness, it is all based on God which should fill us with confidence in going out into each day. It is not this random circling of ideas and actions and events. It is God at work. And we belong to him and we follow him, we serve him and he is with us. How that strengthens life rather than trying to take on, I make life work. Another form of arrogance is the arrogance of opinion, of our own wisdom. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 addresses this. Many of you know these words. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Every time. The way that people think this is wise, this is good, if it, it does not represent the truth of God, then the way is always death. That's the only outcome it cannot have. It can have it if it's not rooted on the truth, the wisdom of God. Whatever wisdom we have, and we can gather bits of wisdom, whether uh, your wisdom came from the classroom or on the street, whatever wisdom you have is quite limited and all polluted. It is defiled by false ways of thinking in the world, by your own experience. It is, it is not pure wisdom. It will fail. You can declare all the opinions you want about yourself, about the world and life, but you cannot enforce a single opinion. If you have kids, you find that out after a few weeks. You can't enforce your opinion with them. And as they get older, you can say opinions, just look at their eyes, see how much they're following that opinion. Except in our household, of course. <laughs> Trying to find my kids. They always thought, yes, Dad, yes. <laughs> That's how I was interpreting it. 
We know wisdom has a source. Wisdom has to have a source. It, it has to come from somewhere. People of God, shouldn't we live where wisdom begins? Shouldn't we just go to the source and stay there, live there, rest there? Proverbs again, chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom isn't just information. It's information used correctly, beneficially. If you want wisdom, then love God more. Know God more. Live at the foundation, the fount of wisdom, so that wisdom will fill your life. And the fruitfulness of it will be borne out in your life and in your home. And there is the arrogance of self-determination. We can ignore God, but you can't escape him. That's impossible. There is a quote that I read some time ago in my study, and I've long since forgotten who said it. Just someone smarter than me said this. Throughout the book of Genesis, the reader is continually reminded of the consequences of failing to reckon with the presence of God in the world. And so every scene and every person, every phase we will come to throughout the book of Genesis and then the rest of the scripture, we are continually seeing what happens when you neglect God, it's his world. He rules over it. We're accountable to him. And part of what we're meant to see is this reality to, to never forget how imminent God is in each place and time and situation. God is not somewhere and we need him to run quick and help us. God is always at the center, the heart of every event and moment and action, however pleasant, however difficult. God is always the main character every time. He's always here now. And that should encourage us because He's always in control. We can fulfill some of our goals. Run faster, jump higher, bigger bank account. There are goals we can set and we can accomplish some of them, but we cannot fulfill our soul. That we cannot do. Only God, creator, can do that. There is a way to make life work. There is a way for relationships to work by what is laid out for us by our Creator who brought us into existence that we might have joy in Him and see by 
how his word is true and faithful that we are in ever praise of his goodness. That's how God made the world and what he intends and we've turned our own way and that has broken apart, but we can all at every moment set our attention on him and believe that his ways are meant to enrich our soul and make life good. And in this world, because There's a lot of sin happening in a lot of places that will affect us and and come against us and invade our lives. But good God has eternal intentions which include the removal of all that would disturb the soul. And that's what we look toward. So we, we first, and this was the longest section, we if we believe Genesis 1, we cast aside all arrogance, a self-sufficiency of opinion, of self-determination. So that's kind of the, the negative side of what we cast off. The next two are, I hope, more encouraging. The second is that we should cast off all fear because the creator and sustainer is also your savior. In Colossians 1, I want us to to look at this passage, to read it. In Colossians 1, we discover that Christ himself was the agent of creation. The pre-incarnate Christ, the eternal son of God was there. So Colossians 1, it's on the screen, verses 16 and 17. Speaking of Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things. There are no exceptions. It's not just objects but all kingdoms and beings, they all were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him things, all things, what? Hold together. The God who holds the universe together became flesh and shed his blood to save you. Creator God did that. And the one who intercedes for you, as we learn throughout our study of Hebrews, the one who intercedes for you rules over every molecule and atom that exists. They all must bow to him. They're all in his hand. What is there to fear when the lover of your soul is the Almighty? 
he is utterly fearless. And he overpowers every enemy. And you, believer, are his delight. As the prophet writes, you are the, the apple of his eye. He sings over you with joy. I'm guessing your spouse doesn't sing over you. The Burtons might. They do a lot of singing in their house. But for the rest of us, I've complimented Debbie and I've said positive things. I, I can't think of the last time I sang over her. Maybe today will be an interesting day. <laughs> and all of you are debating, do I want to see a video of that or not? It would be fascinating, but I'm not sure. In this world, you will, you have, you do face bold evil, aggressive evil, evil that thinks it stands and controls, that is uncaring of consequences, that looks only to itself and its demands and desires. But you as our brothers and sisters in Belarus and Ukraine and Sudan and every troubled place, all of us are faced by this aggressive evil. We, we face that uh, within the palm of God's hand. That's where it all takes place. Always. Evil comes against you while you are in the hand of God, which can never drop you, will never let go, is always good, wise, and perfect. Last week we heard God who made all things can be trusted in all things. What a good and true word. And then lastly, if, if we believe Genesis 1 is true, we cast aside all ignorance, we should cast off all fear, and we should cast off any hopelessness, for that is also a mirage. Just as self-sufficiency in the minds of men is a mirage, it's not true. Hopelessness for the believer is a mirage. It's simply not true. It is impossible for someone in Christ held in his hand under his commitment of covenant, it is impossible for us to be hopeless. For we're told, and we'll see next week, that not only was God the Father part of creation and God the Son part of creation, verse 2, what does it say? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all there, all agents of bringing everything into existence. And here is the stunning reality. Not only has creator God come to the world and died shedding his blood for you, the almighty creator God literally and eternally dwells in you. All that God is dwells forever, committedly, in every Christian. The source of all power, that's who you depend on. Not, will we ever get the right government? Something, we depend on something far better than that. The person of all understanding is who guides you, not prevailing culture, opinions, the fountain of life is the one who fulfills your life and gives you life. Believer, it is impossible for you to be hopeless. That's a lie of Satan who he lives in hopelessness. That's his existence. He knows it. You are not hopeless, for the commitment of God holds you and keeps you and has promised to you. And whether or not you see it or experientially know it's there, the full commitment of God is always in and around and holding and going for, before his people. We cannot exist without the whole goodness of God being geared and committed for our eternal good. God will not allow anything less for those for whom his son shed his blood. That will not be wasted, not a drop, not only to save us, but to keep us and bring us to what God created this world for. So people of God, he holds your beginning, he holds your end, and everything. In between, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for what we know of you. It, it is so limited in comparison to the full majesty of the reality of you. But what we can see and know is wondrous. And what we have experienced in the gospel of your Son it is wondrous. What we have in the presence of your spirit is wondrous. What we have in promise from you, our Father, is wondrous. So confirm, confirm this to your people. You who spoke the universe into being, speak to your beloved that they would know you, the faithful and true one, are with them and holding them.
And may we live this in such a way that others see it as true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.